Hello, and welcome to The Plants We Eat, that amazing podcast where you get to hear all about the plants that we use for food, or, in this case, the bugs. Because this is the fourth out of our four-part series on the insects that we use for food. And today we are going to be taking a look at the amazing, the incredible, the wonderful silkworm. And uh, Cindy, what do you think of the silkworm? The silkworm's okay. Just okay? All right. Well, let me, let, me, let me start off by saying this. There are two insects that have been heavily domesticated by man. And silkworm is one of them because it is part of the insect that produces silk. The moth produces silk. Exactly. Just what you said. It's incredible. It's been with us for about 5,000 years, and it produces not only the silk, it also does produce a, uh, a food. It is known for a lot of different things, uh, one of which is that the fact that it is basically a species that has been created by man. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, man discovered this moth. I'm going to tell you about the legend in just a minute. Okay. Then after they discovered the moth, they started harvesting it for silk, and they bred it over years and years and years. And at this point, we have this flightless moth that's lost almost all of its natural coloration and wouldn't survive in the wild. In fact, you don't find it in the wild anymore. No. It can breed with its closest relative in the wild. Mm -hmm. Okay. But— yeah, it's it's different enough that it has created its own its own species. Now, silkworms again have been around for about five thousand years, and there is a legend with, about their domestication. And I'd like to relay that to you because, wow, I think it's really really interesting. So, five thousand years or so ago, there was a Chinese empress whose name was Zi Lingxi, and I. Apologize for probably massacring that name, but Zeling Shi happened to discover silk when a cocoon fell into her hot cup of tea. She was at that time, of course, sitting below what kind of a tree? Mulberry. Exactly. She was sitting <laughs> below a mulberry tree. Well, she unraveled this strange cocoon that had fallen into her tea, and as she wrapped the thread around her finger, she realized what an amazing cloth it would make. And then she started collecting these insects, and boom, there you go. They started making silk out of it. Isn't there the color of the silk determined by their diet and environmental pressures? Silk is generally white. I know, but, well, that's what <laughs> I found out. So. <laughs> um, silk, silk differs. So the best silks come from uh, the white mulberry. Now, this insect eats almost exclusively white mulberry because that is what it's fed. Mm -hmm. However, it will eat more than just the white mulberry. It will also eat uh, various other mulberries as well as cabbage and Osage orange. But if you feed these insects things like cabbage and Osage orange, you have an inferior silk. You know, at this point, we should probably talk a little bit about the life cycle of this this moth. That's a good idea. It is a moth. It is not an attractive moth. It's kind of dull colored. I think it's a beautiful moth. Do you really? Yeah, I think it's just interesting. Okay. It's, like, it, it's, I'll give you interesting. Maybe beautiful is not the right word. It's, it's, it's fluffy and... It's just interesting. You know, a moth is something that gets into your house when the... Yeah, it's a, it's a cute moth. <laughs> it's, it's a cute moth. You know, it's, a, it's a cute, it's kind of heavy, it, it can't fly, we've bred it not to fly. Anyway, <laughs> it's lost its defensive coloration. Mm, right. Anyway, um, it lays its eggs 
on mulberry. The eggs hatch. The larvae eat the mulberry. And by the way, when I say they eat the mulberry, what happens is that people actually harvest the mulberry tree and bring in leaves for the for the caterpillars to eat, because that's indeed what they are, mm-hmm. is caterpillars, larvae, caterpillars, same thing. Mm-hmm. Then eventually, these insects get to a size where they pupate. If they survive the pupation, which they usually don't, of course, for obvious reasons, they become a moth. And if they don't survive because they're eaten, well, then they get made into silk and <laughs> they become eaten. Well, the silk is actually a protection Right. Part to to keep them from being eaten by predators. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. what happens is you have a regular pupa. You've probably seen pupa of other caterpillars. Mm -hmm. The difference between the silkworm and a regular cocoon for a caterpillar is that around its cocoon, the silkworm actually actually weaves a a silky uh, covering. That silky covering uh, is what's used to make a silk shirt. And that silky covering is a single thread. That single thread is typically 1,000 meters long. If you don't know what a meter is, call it 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet long. Is that nuts? Yes. That's so, crazy. So the and Id- a meter is closer to a yard, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so okay. that's why I was just— Oh, okay. You get my conversion. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, what what they do, and and I actually uh, watched a couple of videos on this. They actually take the uh, the cocoon with the silk around it, and they kind of brush it to find the end of the um, to find the end of the thread, mm-hmm. and then they pull it all out. That's amazing. It's, I've it's, never seen that. I'm I'm going to look. It's that insane. Up. Anyway, so here's here's the interesting thing. In order to harvest this thread. They need to kill the pupa. Why do they need to kill the pupa? Because if the pupa hatches into an adult, it will release an enzyme which will cut that covering. Once it cuts the covering, you don't have this long thread anymore, which is good for making cloth. Instead, you have a bunch of little threads. A bunch of little threads can be used for certain cloths, but not not for nice threads that make Well, it's not as diverse. Right. So you have to kill it. you know, there are actually a lot of activists, or at least a respectable number of activists, who are strongly opposed to growing the silkworm moth because of how it's killed. They consider it inhumane. How it's killed is that you take the pupa when they're formed with the coverings and put it into hot water. There's actually a couple ways to kill, but usually it's putting it into hot water. By putting it into hot water, it also it loosens up the, the thread so it's easier to get it off. And it kills the pupa, and then once you have all the thread pulled away, you can take that pupa um, already boiled up, and you can eat it. And it is considered a delicacy um, across uh, many parts of Asia. A few a few weeks ago, um, before I even considered doing this podcast, in fact, this is an event that actually uh, inspired me to, uh, <laughs> to do a whole series on insects, I saw... Uh, a couple of guys on a YouTube video eating a soup made with silkworm pupa. And I just had to try it. So I actually ordered some, and it was out of Korea, and it was considered a delicacy. I spent 15 bucks for this tiny can of soup. And you know something? It was actually pretty darn good. So we we uh, we went from there. So as I said, a, del- a delicacy. I'm glad delicacy. you found it uh, tasty. <laughs> now, Okay, so. Next <laughs> next interesting thing. So there have been certain groups who have been trying to figure out ways to uh, 
to get the silk from the silkworm without, you know, this killing the, the silkworm. And one of the ways was actually this. When they are injured, the silkworm larva will actually undergo self-paralysis in order to heal. Okay? So if you have one, uh, one larvae who uh, has undergone this self-paralysis, you can actually extract the chemical from it which is causing self-paralysis, and inject it into other silkworm larvae, and they will partially paralyze. If they're spinning their silk, that means they can't cut their thread. If you have a regular larvae and you pull the thread from it, okay, so you can get it before it pupates and, you know, just happily get the thread, um, the, the larvae will actually cut the thread, actually bite it. And if it bites it, then obviously you've just lost that that thread. But if you paralyze it when it's spinning the thread, it can't cut the thread, and you can get that whole set of thread. Unfortunately, they've only been able to get 500 meters of thread from one of these partially paralyzed. Going through that, okay, yeah, going through yeah. that process. Right, but then you don't kill it. Of course, I do wonder what else goes on, but that's, that's okay. Um, it takes 100 pounds of mulberry leaves to make one pound of silk. Wow. I wonder how many, how what how many shirts maybe one out of a pound. Oh, of I don't think you even get a pound. Have you ever had a a, a silk shirt? I actually had yeah. one when I when I got out of college. I still remember this shirt. It was one of my favorite shirts shirts ever. It was a sharper image shirt. It was straight black. It was silk. It was the best thing. That thing couldn't weigh two ounces. I mean, part of that's the re- true. Okay. Part of the reason that I liked it was it was so light. Okay, and it looked so sharp. I'm still hanging on the process of what you just talked about. What's that? It, it's that the from the larva stage before it turned into the pupa, the the mechanisms that we've tried to right you know prevent the pupa from feeling pain, I guess, or or the the activists yeah, seem to be upset at a certain stage that we're anyway. We it's boil, all very interesting. I we boil been, lobsters all the time. I know. And, anyway, I know these are gonna since they have less surface area. Mm-hmm. They're going to die much faster. Okay. Do you ever think about that, that smaller things would die faster in more extreme conditions? No. That's why over the Ice Age, big mammoths and big saber-toothed tigers are what lived because they have less surface area, so they're bothered less by the environment. They're able to self-regulate their heat sure. better. Okay. I'm I'm interested in you eating one now. Uh, you're interested in my eating one? Yes. I, I, well, okay. I mean, I don't mind. They're good. Okay, so just so that you guys know— uh, Exactly what these are. They are silkworm pupa, which uh, presumably have given up their uh, their silk to the silk industry. Somebody is wearing the shirt made from these guys' sacrifices. I, I then took these guys from a can, and I stir-fried them with, uh, let's see, what did I use? I used some garlic, I used some smoked paprika, and I used some chili. And uh, I'm going to be honest. The smell last night in the kitchen was horrendous. Um, they did, did not smell good, but the flavor, mm, just really good. I could eat these all day. <laughs> Jeff. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> I need another three. Alex? One's enough. <laughs> is there a mashed potato uh, consistency inside? Mm, it is very similar to mashed potato. Okay. My mouth is fully gone. Excuse me. It's um. <laughs> Your eyes are watering inside. <laughs> pretty gooey. Yeah. Mashed potato consistency. 
That's I what I read. I thought it was a little looser than that. Okay. Okay. So um, you wouldn't eat them again? No. <laughs> that was no, brief. They um, they don't look like something I'd want to put in my mouth. <laughs> and I'm not knocking the w- the way that you prepared them. They, I mean, they ca- <laughs> half and half. It looks like a um, roasted almond, but when you get closer, it's not. You know, it's a bug of some if sort. You've, <laughs> if you've if you've seen the pupa of a moth outside, that's exactly what it looks like. I mean, it's it's no surprise. Um, to me, though, look. You take this insect that we have domesticated, you get this amazing cloth from it, you use it as a protein source for food. This is like a perfect insect. It is. I, mean, I agree. I, I, you can draw an analogy to cows. This is like, this is this is almost better than a cow. I mean, a cow, you get leather and beef. This, you get silk and, you know, insect goo. Well, <laughs> insect. Well, th- this this whole eating insects for nutrition yeah. is is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think it's something to and and I I'm not I'll never eat some of these so I'm not uh, I'm not turning weird on you here but it is uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. You, you know, people say it's interesting when uh, <laughs> when, they're, when they're disturbed by. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not disturbed by it at all. I think I'm I, it, then I'm fascinated by it because I think. You know, I, I'm impressed that we're finding different ways to to feed ourselves. So I'm gonna I'm gonna you know give you a thought which um, you may not you may not enjoy and you listening may not enjoy it either. But I <laughs> I feel compelled to do so. You, you know, like to we, torture me, don't we you? We <laughs> enjoy we enjoy eating. I, I'm, I'm a barbecue guy. I enjoy eating muscles that have actually been cooked so much that they literally fall off the bone of an animal. Um, we enjoy uh, milk that has been curdled and you know, milk from an animal that has been curdled and in some cases actually has mold growing on it. We, we like that. Sure. We like the product of a chicken's menstrual cycle. Actually, it's not really a menstrual cycle, but we won't get into semantics here. We're, <laughs> we're eating these, these things and we're just casting – Insects aside, I'm sorry, I don't think insects are any worse than, no. than any of those things, and, and certainly not worse than something like a lobster. In fact, lobsters and insects are actually really closely related. I agree, related. and that's why I I am interested and intrigued by it all, because it, it, it we're going to teach our children's children to for this to be ex- acceptable. I think. I think. I think we're going to get there, and I don't think it's going to happen fast. But I but I think that it will will slowly happen. I, I do wonder, you know, these silkworm people here. It would have been interesting if they'd been crisped up and ground into a flour, don't you think? Yes. I, would, I would have liked to. Have yes, tried that. that would be. I, I could uh, stomach that for yeah. sure. Well, you're good about the whole the whole flour thing. Is <laughs> when we get beyond that. But hey, if it has to start with flour, it's a great place Absolutely. to start. Absolutely, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really fun doing the bugs we eat. Thanks for thanks for being game. Cindy, I appreciate it. You're and welcome. I, I learned a lot this time. Usually I come into knowing a good bit about what we're talking about. This was all new to me, and I appreciate it. I really learned a lot. And Alex, you were a super sport, too. You tried every single one of those insects. I'm so, I'm, I'm so I impressed. I am proud of you, Alex. <laughs> for non-entomologists, that's a big deal. Thank you so much for trying all those. So now we get back on track with plants. Yep. We'll do We'll do plants uh, next week, and um, we'll need to talk about the next one okay, we do. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Plants We Eat, a production of UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens. 
College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at UNC Charlotte and the IELTS Group at UNC Charlotte. You can reach us uh, through email at tpwepodcast.edu. That's tpwepodcast at uncc.edu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.